We're on Hollywood Boulevard. We are. How are you guys doing? Here we are in June. Crazy. Crazy. I can't believe it. Six um, months, man. Halfway. Halfway through. Yeah. 2022. Almost halfway there. That is that is truly crazy. And of course, we're already disoriented because we just spent our other podcast on the block uh, talking about a Christmas episode. Yeah. So, so our mind is in December. So yeah. bear with us. Yeah. Um, like, where the fuck are we again? Yeah, well, that's the eternal question, really, isn't it? Um, but I have a question for you, Karen. Yes. I understand you have some exciting news, so uh, please share. I do have breaking news, courtesy of my day job, my other job, my other day job over at Tasting <laughs> Table. I was privy to some information. So uh, do you watch Master Chef? Uh, I have. I'm not currently watching it. Okay. Do you enjoy Master Chef? Yeah. And my sister is a huge fan, in fact. Oh, okay. So, um, oh, this might be exciting news for her then. Have you ever wondered what the food tasted like that they played it up on MasterChef? Yes. And what happens to it? Yes, totally. Okay. Well, I can't tell you what happens to the food, but I can tell you that MasterChef has partnered with Grubhub and they are now, they now have like a MasterChef, it's called MasterChef Table. And they're going to start delivering um, to, like, I think it's, like, 20 select areas across the United States. They're going to start delivering these um, master chef made uh, food items through through their ghost kitchen via Grubhub. Interesting. That's yeah, really and that cool. launches uh, launches June one, um, and uh, which is definitely after this podcast airs. I, the news is embargoed to then. Um, and it is obviously in New York, Boston, um, Chicago, DC area, and um, and I think you know, and then there are other rollouts, you know, throughout the United States, and it's uh, four chefs uh, from Master Chef season. So uh, it's uh, Dorian Hunter from season ten. Jaron Hurt from season nine. Uh, who else we got here? Um, 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 Kel- Kelsey Murphy from season 11. And Michael Silverstein from uh, season 10. He's the Cato chef. They've all come up with these, uh, you know, appetizer sides and mains. I think it's 11 items in total that make up this master chef menu. That's really cool. That's a great idea on their part. I bet my sister will be excited. Actually, it, it, I thought it was a good idea, and I was really surprised that like this hadn't happened before. And apparently, yeah. this is like the first Master Chef branded thing. And I was like, they haven't even. Yeah, like, I, I don't yeah. think I've heard of anything. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like their first foray, which I'm very surprised about because usually all of these cooking programs have like spatulas and, you know, and aprons and, but it seems like MasterChef just hasn't had that for some reason. Um, But now they're, they're in the food business. I'm completely fascinated by this. I think it's super interesting. I just don't know how this is going to fly. Right. I mean, Mm. this is sort of like one of the things, um, with my other day job, I was actually doing an interview with a restaurateur who started a, um, out of one of those commercial kitchens, she started her vegan Italian food business during the pandemic, like a year ago, um, out of this ghost kitchen, um, where, and so she was only delivery, right? Because that's, you don't have like a sit down place. And she, um, she just a year later got a brick and mortar where she could actually like Mm -hmm. do her work. And I was like, 
okay, so what's the difference like with your menu? And she was like, oh my God, so much different because now I don't have to worry about how things are going to be transported. So I can make pretty things on a plate. And I was like, oh my God, I never even thought about that. So like considering like the type of food that you see them do on MasterChef, which can be beautiful plating and very intricate and just thinking about that. And now thinking, you know, they've had to create this food that must survive delivery. Right. You you know, and that's, I think that's a very different thing. Now, granted, this is all comfort food and there's a lot here that obviously will travel well. um, But there is some of it that has me a little head scratching. And also, I mean, you know, as far as business model models go, restaurants restaurants are a tough business. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's the other thing that has me kind of like, I don't know, if I was like Master Chef, like I think I'd probably just, I don't know, make spatulas because that just seems to be the better business. Yeah, market product, not food. Yeah. Yeah, like and food is tough. And I don't know if being like aligned with Grubhub and being like takeout and delivery only and not having it like does that significantly lower your food costs so that being you know so the being a restaurant is suddenly profitable because I think restaurants have something like if you make if you turn a profit like 10% like you're doing gangbusters like that's like the best you can expect yeah. is like to do a 10 yeah, it's profit. so difficult yeah it is like tight 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 margins um so you know so that's why i'm a little bit he- like I, i'm a little bit i'm a little bit kind of curious about this as far as like a business decision goes and it seems like did does this exist just to prop up maybe you know Grubhub like I don't know it just feels like I don't know that MasterChef needed this in their brand and yet here we are yeah maybe they didn't need it and yet I don't think it's dumb for them trying to expand I mean to a I new think market. yeah I mean I think it's interesting because they're like the first you know maybe this is sort of like and that's the other thing like when you're Grubhub and you have these commercial like these kitchens right you can only do this in so many locations i mean unless they're thinking they can be like the tgi fridays of the ghost kitchen set right of the delivery where you just have like so many ghost kitchens and you just cook out of them like tgi fridays was back in the day but everybody's doing delivery now i mean maybe that's what they're going for or are they using this as a way to test the menu and then do like freezer grocer you know grocer options freezing like frozen dinners like you know like you have like the um the, they're doing like master chef branded frozen entrees hmm. which could i could see that being viable and i don't know if this is like step 1 in in making that leap into like you know your grocer's frozen section right because that just seems more fight like that just seems more viable of a business to me than actually yeah. operating a, a restaurant. Yeah, I agree. But it's interesting. Like I think it's really interesting. And like I said, breaking news. Yeah, we heard it from you. You're breaking heard news. It first from you. Sometimes sometimes I get to do exciting things. I'll take it. Good. Good excitement. Yeah, but there is something here. Uh, Jaron Hertz, uh, Nashville Hot Mackin, is a creamy and cheesy mac and cheese topped with crispy deep-fried chicken tenders seasoned in Nashville hot spices. Option of plain, mild, or hot. I love Nashville hot fried chicken. 
Um, oh my so, God, Alyssa and I have just been talking about nice. going to Nashville and having Nashville hot chicken. Oh my God, it's so good. Um, yeah. I have a great recipe for it and we made it once, only once, because it's really a pain. It was like, you know, fried chicken's a pain in the ass. Yeah, me. yeah. Um, but oh my God, it was so good. Best fried chicken I ever had. Yeah, I believe it. Now I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I say two thumbs up, go to Nashville, eat the fried chicken. Yeah, but I'm also going to look into this delivery. Yeah, look into the delivery and let me know what you think. And if you order, um, oh God, look up my story tomorrow because now I don't remember what it was. But if you order, um, if you're in New York and you order between the first and the fifth or something like that, and you put in a code and I can't remember what the code is on checkout, you get entered to win a free oh, meal cool. or something like that. Yeah. So, so that might just be kind of fun. Little sweepstakes, sweepstakes, but yeah, give it a try. Give it a shot. See, see if you um. Let me know how it is. I'm very curious about how the food is. I will. Maybe I'll even post a photo. Ooh, cool. All right, so that's the breaking news. Now that's really cool. That is that is fun news, though. No doubt about it. Thank you. So on to the um not breaking news. Mm, No, just my life. Just some things that I watched on TV this weekend. Actually, not all on TV. Um, we streamed all of Stranger Things' new season. So you binged it. Does that mean you liked it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we definitely liked it. Now, I mean, I'm me, so I'm a critic, so I can find things to poke if I want. But it's really, like, just so much fun. Okay. Because I feel like it lost a little zing last season. Um, well, then you might still feel that in some way this season. The thing is, it does that thing that, like, especially horror movies do when they have a bunch of sequels where they have to, they, like, start adding more to the backstory to create new story. So the Duffer brothers with this new season have kind of, like, done a bunch of flashbacks and added in events that had not happened yet. So there's more for them to dig into. And that's basically what this new season is about. There's okay. stuff happening around Hawkins um, that like they're introducing now, but theoretically have been a problem before. Um, there's more stuff we learn about 11 that theoretically would have like been told to us in seasons one through three, that sort of thing is still happening now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's fun. And they've enlarged the canvas. I mean, there are new characters, um, including one like teen metalhead or stoner metalhead. Who's like a great addition. Um, but the action is happening. Like our whole cast is um, in several different locations. They're all kind of spread out. So, like, some people are still in Hawkins, some are not. I'm not going to say too much because we can talk about it more. I know you'll end up seeing it, and you just haven't yet. Right. Um, because I know for me, like, last year, it was like Steve stole it for me. Like, it was like, it was all about Steve, right? Like, that was the last season. I was like, yeah, Steve was like, I mean, I feel like great. you're going to be very still, very much Team Steve. I'm still going to be Team yeah. Steve on this one. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. They, like, he's definitely gotten what we'll call the Peter edit when we talk about peter on melrose it's kind of like they basically are giving that all to steve right Uh, here too um and you know in giving a lot of stuff to some of the newer people too like some of our ogs are really relegated to the sidelines but they all have some sort of storyline happening for them but i really think like 
the group you want to be with the most is like the the like the Steve, Nina, Dustin set. Okay. And and I am glad I will say that we binged it. I mean, it ended up being a pouring rainy day on Saturday and we didn't have anywhere else to go or anything to do. So we were like, let's just keep pushing it. Let's just keep going. Um, and I'm glad because if we had waited any longer, a couple things would have been spoiled for us. And I'm glad they weren't. Oh, you mean just with like the news cycle sort mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. being like, Between oh, social media and the news, cycle, like casual things. Right. But it right. would have been, wouldn't have like spoiled our enjoyment. It wouldn't have really spoiled that much story, but just like things we were happy just to discover on our own watching it. The whole thing is it's seven episodes and each episode is like an hour to an hour, 20 minutes, except for the last one, which is like an hour 40. But we were, confused lied to i don't know what the right thing is to say we thought this is the last season so that part one is this weekend and then july 4th weekend is part two which is essentially two movie length episodes okay we thought that was it so that they're building up and 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 like this is like the final finale that's it there's gonna be a season five so this isn't like a scorched earth type of season which is what i thought they were doing all along because they have to leave not just pieces but like the best pieces to come together in story form next year okay so we're not done yet so either way we're not done yet um yeah very you know still very happy with it the episodes move real quick cool and like the just you know the music cues the effects all really good and um, I'm hearing, oh, so I'm curious if you are glad that, was one of the spoilers going to be the Kate Bush song? No. Okay. No. We were happy with it. We happen to both be huge Kate Bush fans in this uh, household. I am too. So, so we're like, yeah. you know, anytime the and rest of the world wakes up and discovers her, fine, we'll take it. I know. I'm just waiting for like, you know, kids these days, one of them to be like, oh my God, you ever hear that? I'm listening to a song by somebody you probably don't know. It's Kate Bush. And I'm going to be like, fuck you. <laughs> oh, I I feel like I have already heard that. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's an artist that you like, you probably don't know who they like Kate Bush. And it's like, oh my God, just sit down, go sit down. Um. Oh, what was I going to say? There's this thing going on. The, so obviously people have now discovered the 45 year old career of Kate Bush for the yeah. first time. Um, <laughs> and so on Twitter, there was a thing going around like based on this, like what is the best use of an existing song in a work, like a, a film or TV. Um, and I think my go-to, I think I said stuck in the middle with you from Reservoir Dogs. Oh, that's a good one. And then Alyssa read, people had said Layla in Goodfellas, which is really good. And then someone else had said Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's World, which I was like, yes, of course. Of course, yeah. How would I not? But but we also lean towards the old stuff. So we also say uh, Simon and Garfunkel in The Graduate mm-hmm. and Everybody's Talking to Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. And I guess those are the big ones. Oh, the other one I say is... Um, for me, I say, oh shit, what's, oh, Sister Christian in Boogie Nights, if you've seen that. Oh, you know what? I forgot about that. But yeah, I think I can see that. I so, can see that. So, okay, yeah. anyone who hasn't seen Boogie Nights, A, treat yourself to it, but B, in particular, there's a scene 
including Alfred Molina, that is amazing and would like people would not stop talking about it if that whole thing were were now. And so yeah. now I have to include Alyssa's number one example, and that is Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous. In Almost Famous, yeah, that was a good. One. Another one that's like so obvious. Yeah. How would you? Yeah. How could you forget it? Yeah, that that is a wonderful one. Yeah, because I was sitting here going, I really can't think about it. And I would also, I mean, I have to say, like, just about any episode of Supernatural, like, I don't know. And, and also the boys, like, I don't think anybody in TV uses music like Eric Kripke. I think you're right. And I haven't seen enough of Supernatural to know all of the examples, but I definitely saw a lot of them stated in that Twitter thread. Um, to that point, the boys comes back. The season three premiere is this week. It's this week. I'm Friday. So first, first three episodes drop this I'm week. So, so spoiler alert, guys, we'll be talking about it. Um, and also, I, before I forget, we'll be off next week because Karen has some really cool, um, like, just personal news. Yeah. yeah. Um, going on. So we'll, we will probably talk a little bit about the boys and also revisit Stranger Things in two weeks' time when we're back. And I'm hoping to... Um watch that new uh sex pistols show that i think is on hulu so i'm curious we'll talk about that and you'll let me know if it's worth it or not because right now i'm kind of leaning against it but if you say it's worth it then see uh, that's my uh, jam so i'm gonna have to say i'm and i might be a tough sell for this one so we'll see what well that's how i feel i'm i'm like i i know this i don't know if i need to see this version of it right but that's what we'll see that that you that's what you'll do the the research for um and you also watch something on TV slash streaming, did. didn't you? So I watched The Lincoln Lawyer, um, so, which is the new TV series based on Michael Connelly's uh, book series, Lincoln Lawyer, which was his spinoff from the Bosch series, um, which I've read. Apparently, there are more of them out. I read them all up until the point where I finished them, but I, and then I just stopped paying attention and he has more of them out. I love the book series. I love this character. I never read it. I saw the movie adaptation. I never read the series, but I've only heard really good things. Matthew McConaughey. So Uh the premise is um, Mickey Holler is a defense attorney in Los Angeles. And he's sort of his shtick is he basically works out of the back of his car. And so he's got a garage full of all these different Lincolns and he has a driver and he always says that he feel he can think better when he's on the move. And so he basically rides around in this car and does his work when he's not in court. So it's kind of like this fun, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a fun conceit when you think about a lawyer always driving around in a car. Um, and this episode, uh, this episode, I think, was all the first book, if I'm remembering correctly, oh. where um, he comes back from a year away. It might not be the first book, then. I might have this wrong. It might be like he went away for you. Anyway, he come he comes back from a year away. Um, he had he had like an opioid addiction. Um, I don't remember if that huh. was the reason why in the book or if he like was just an alcoholic and an opioid is new. It was, it's been a while since I read them. Um, but he in, he basically uh, a defense attorney was murdered. He inherits the guy's practice, yeah. and so um, he's like while he's trying to sort of like get like his defense for this this guy's you know people his his clients, which by the way this guy was a terrible record keeper, um, and his 
laptop got stolen when he was murdered. So they don't really know who the clients are. And so there are all these surprises of like, oh, you have to be in court in five minutes. And, you know, and but basically he's got this one high profile client who is a tech executive who may or may not have murdered his wife. And so we're going through, I think it was 10, yeah, 10 episodes of like, you know, Mickey trying to figure, you know, trying to defend his clients and in particular this guy and also sort of like not die himself because the bad guy that killed the lawyer is still out there. And, you know, Mickey's probably got, you know, bounty on his head too. Um, Mickey is played by Manuel Garcia Rolfo. Yeah. How is he? He's wonderful. Oh, good. He's wonderful. And at first I was a little bit thrown because like Matthew McConaughey is like the whitest boy, you know, right? I mean, and he was the original Lincoln lawyer. He originated this in, yeah. um, in the movie version. And I had actually kind of forgotten that in the books, Mickey Holler is half Mexican. Um, oh. So Mickey's dad was like this big famous defense attorney. Um, Mickey, who had an affair. Um, I don't know if there was a, I think they were married. Um, and his wife, his wife at the time that was Mickey's mom was a Mexican woman. Um, but I believe in the books, he was raised in Los Angeles, but they have it so that he was in the, in the TV series that he was raised in Mexico. So he comes back, he has a bit of an accent. It took me a minute to get there with the accent, because like I said, you know, I had read the books as he was an American, Matthew McConaughey was stuck in my mind. But once I got through that, I was, he was wonderful. He was a really great Mickey Holler. Like he worked really, really well. And the characters sort of around him, like his ex-wife, Maggie McPherson, played by Neve Campbell, who is doing a wonderful job. Like she's unrecognizable in a way. Oh, wow. Um, because she just has sort of like, you don't look at her and go, oh, I remember you from... What did she do? Like scream? Was that scream hers? party yeah, of five? Like, yeah, oh, party of five. Yeah, like I'm not looking at her and being like, oh, I remember you when you were a kid. Like I'm looking at her as she is an adult actor and she's doing a really great job playing Maggie McPherson, also known as McPherson. And uh, you know, and this sort of like cool cast of characters that just kind of like, yeah. You I know, mean the the cast that I saw when it came to Netflix is really good. Yeah, surrounds him, and so it they I think that they did a really great job. Um, kind of like Bosch, which was on IM, uh, Amazon, Amazon, which was an Amazon production, not a Netflix production. But, you know, we're, with kind of like hewing pretty close to the source material um, and and being able, so, so they're hewing cl- and they're doing a service to it rather than a disservice. So it's the sort of thing mm-hmm. where I think people who mm-hmm. like the books aren't going to complain about it. Um, you know, which is also what I felt that they did with Jack, the Jack Reacher series on Amazon. I think that they did a really good job with that, um, you know, and a better job with the series than the movies, to be honest with you, in right. terms of sticking to that source material yeah. so that people that read the books aren't angry. Like, mm, yeah, because it better. fits your picture. It fits yeah. how you've seen it. And it described. totally yeah. fits what the, what the authors, the picture the authors have painted. Um, but, but it also kind of is still like, you know, open enough to interpretation so that they can take some, you know, creative liberties. But ultimately it was a very satisfying show. And I thought, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to rewatch that because I cannot wait for for the next season to come around. And this is how I felt about Bosch when I watched Bosch the first season. I was really excited about it. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like two thumbs up and highly recommend, especially if you're a fan of, um, 
Michael Connolly and his books. Like, I think that this is really great. And, and it might be a good gateway into The Lincoln Lawyer if you've been like, oh, Yeah, I think you're absolutely that. right about that. And I think, is this one of the ones that David Kelly has is, is working on that he adapted this? Yes, I, th- I actually think it is a David Kelly, but I feel like he, he's had his hands in something else, too. He's also on that show Big Sky. Or not on, but he developed the one that's on ABC. And I feel like his name has been attached to something else. I know he did like Big Little Lies. Um, Nine Perfect Strangers. That's oh, what I'm yeah. watching at You the said same you've been time. watching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going, yeah, he was that. Why do I keep, but I keep seeing his name, but it was Nine Perfect Strangers as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to say David Kelly is kind of doing like some impressive work right now. Yeah. Uh, kind yeah. of under the radar at this point, which is I a little know. odd for him. And but... I know that he was sort of like Ally McBeal, Ally McBeal. And I, I know he's done stuff since then. But this sort of like between Big Little Lies, which, you know, yes, he did do. And then Nine Perfect Strangers and now um, Lincoln Lawyer. I kind of feel like he's been doing some really great work. I mean, he's got a lot, though, like Goliath. And yeah. So what? Sandal, um... but, uh... Oh, Goliath was him, too? Yeah. Oh, he didn't realize. Yeah, he's got a lot going on here. But yeah, he did great job with with Lincoln Lawyer and with um and with Nine Perfect Strangers. I'm enjoying that as well. Yeah, we like that too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Jack Reacher. Yes, I did. And as everyone knows, Tom Cruise did the film adaptation, yeah. the Smurf, the Smurf that is Tom Cruise played the 18 foot tall Jack Reacher. Um. But we saw his new movie in the theater this weekend. Okay, I got to ask. The Top Gun sequel, Top Gun Maverick. Is it all that everyone is saying? Like, people are in love with this thing. It's pretty great. Is it really? It won't blow your mind. It won't. Like, the, it is hyperbolic, the way the people who like it love on it. But it's really well done. It's smartly made, so it's really satisfying. And it has cut off all of the 80s excess from the first one so it's really like economically made it really comes from the heart he's great everyone who's in it is great the cast is really good and so you don't have and and i i like really appreciate the the first top gun to me that is almost like the poster child for all hollywood blockbusterism you don't really have the big soundtrack. You don't have the bombast. You don't have all of like those dumb like need for speed type scenes and slogans and stuff like that. It's truly about him kind of redeeming himself. It's a father figure sort of story because okay. he's really looking out for one of his students. That's Miles Teller, who's the pilot in the pivotal role because he is the son of Anthony Edwards character from the first one. Um, it's what I said to uh, Alyssa when we watched it is it almost takes directly from the same playbook that Cobra Kai does in terms of really digging back and mm-hmm. pulling from the original and finding everything that truly hit the fans in their heart. And then, like, letting go of the stuff that's just too dated, that just wouldn't work anymore. So, no, it's a really solid movie. Um, I don't know that it's for you, um, but, it, but it works really well, and I, I completely loved it. And, you know, Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly, as a couple, I think have terrific chemistry. But it's also, like, it's a sweet kind of movie in that it's about, these are, in a sense, older people who, like, 
don't put up and and dole out the same bullshit that the characters would have in their 20s in the first one. So it's not like about the chase or the conquest. It's just about two people that connect. You know, it's not about, you know, like, um, it's not really about ego, which is what a lot of the pilots in the first one were contending Mm. with. It's more about a mission and camaraderie and the actual, like the sacrifice of the training and, and what goes like physically through your mind when you're in the pilot seat. It's it. I just thought it was really good. Better probably than I expected it to be. Um, Yeah. There's just not like, there's not an ounce of fat on it. There's one song, Lady Gaga wrote it and sings it. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I liked everything about it. The cast is, 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 like, even in the smaller roles, Ed Harris has a moment, John Hamm is in it playing kind of like the voice of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, really enjoyable and really made with a completely different mindset than than the the first one that gave birth to it. So no, I really I really liked it. And I mean, Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly are like frozen in amber. They look like they could have looked thirty five years ago. Wow. They, they just look amazing. Um, I have a question. Yeah. How is Val Kilmer? I was kind of wondering about his role in this, knowing that he's been quite ill and you know. Yeah, and his his illness is kind of factored into the character. It is sad to watch him, oh. and the movie kind of like leans into that. Okay. Like this is a movie because did you see the first one? Oh yeah. So I'm going to spoil something for everyone listening who doesn't know Top Gun. A major character in Top Gun dies and it's Anthony Edwards. Nobody wants goose to die. And, and this movie lives a lot in that grief. So there's a lot about like mortality. It's also like a big, fatherhood story the way like tom cruise's movies tend to have been whether it's interview with a vampire jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. or war of the worlds or minority report there's so much about being a father and in this case it's it's him being like a surrogate father with tough love to the miles teller character but there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of like kind of morbidity to it in that like we keep talking about how anthony edwards goose died and like we see Val Kilmer who in real life is grappling with a really serious illness. We see the character who is ill um, and it's really sad and it does color the the movie. It just feels like it's a more mature movie, which I really appreciate it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there are the other names of people that I left out. Um, well, one of the, one of the other pilots is played by Bill Pullman's son. Yes, I saw that too. And, was Bill Pullman in this in in the original uh-uh. Top Gun? I no, don't right? No, he no, wasn't. He was, right? No, but he piloted things in Spaceballs and Independence Day, so I guess it's okay, all, there we all go. runs in the family. <laughs> um, so yeah, big. I'm, I'm a big fan, and I'm glad we saw it in the theater. And Alyssa never saw Top Gun, though she knew about a lot of it. Um, and I wasn't sure how she would like it, but she really liked it. So that's also a good litmus test. If you have no allegiance to it in the first place, do you care? And um, yeah, she really liked it. Cool. So that was a good one. That was a good. That was a good weekend of entertainment between Stranger Things and Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, that's it. Does sound like a that does. And sound of course, like it. it's all you know, like tinged with eighties nostalgia. Well, ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, speaking of eighties nostalgia. 
I also saw a show last week on Broadway. One of the stars is former Miss America Vanessa Williams. And you saw POTUS. POTUS. Yeah. Oh, what is the, let me, let me get the full title right. POTUS, which is an abbreviation for President of the United States, or behind every great dumbass are seven women trying to keep him alive. Uh. So this is a play written by uh, Selena Fillinger, um, who I think I've only seen one show of hers before, uh, and it was a drama, a small play um, at that. And this is a really like madcap uh, show with seven characters, all women. Um, and it, it's about um, mostly White House employees and then a couple other connected people uh, who work to make the president who is a complete and total buffoon, you know, succeed. And um, the show opens immediately in the middle of his newest scandal. He's used the C word. It's been caught by everyone. And so they're trying to spin this. And that includes his, I think, chief of staff, played by Julie White, and his press secretary, played by Susie Nakamura. Um, Vanessa Williams plays the first lady. And Rachel Dratch is another office staffer who's like kind of inept and kind of uh, being groomed to to toughen up. Um, and um, the rest of the cast is Julie Huff and Leah Delaria. And I think I'm leaving one out. Oh, and Lily Cooper, who plays a White House reporter. Um, it's such a great cast. It's a fantastic cast. And this is... I'm going to try and say it in a way that doesn't insult anyone in any direction. And I will probably fail. This is a, this is like lowbrow storytelling. It seems like it should just be like a mad TV or SNL sketch, but it's done well. Like it's met at exactly the right level where like the comedy works for a hundred or 110 minutes, whatever it is, it does have an intermission. Um, it actually works better than a lot of the more serious-minded plays that debuted on Broadway this year. It works better than Chicken and Biscuits, which was the other kind of balls-to-the-wall comedy that right. that uh, opened and closed in the fall. Um, this one just works a little bit better, I think, just because of the skill across the board. Um, you know, every single actress in the show is really good. and and I don't know, you know, the physical comedy is done really deftly at one point, you know, like at least one of the characters uh, ingested drug. And so we have a lot of like drug fueled humor. It has two um, Tony nominations for featured actors for Julie White and for Rachel Dretch. Now, Julie White is a Broadway veteran. She's already a Tony winner. Rachel Dretch, it's her Broadway debut. So this is a nice coup for her. And she's I love Rachel Dretch, quite too. hysterical. I, love I mean, her. she is she is great. I think we might even vote for her had we that option. Had we if, if we were voters, um, no, it's like, really it's really a lot of fun. And I, I feel like Tina think Fey it also her thunder. Well, I think not only that, but I think she kind of robbed her of an opportunity because she replaced her with Jane Krakowski on Thirty Rock. Mm. So there is that. That's um, Yeah. But, oh, anyway, I'm sorry. But but yeah, but no, Rachel Dretch remains, I think, underrated. Um, I mean that that small but great group of SNL perform actresses from the mid '90s, I think, are all really solid. Like Molly Shannon and Anna Gosteyer and uh, and Rachel Dretch, they're all really good. And then of course Maya Rudolph. But um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, like props to, to, to all of them. Truly, um, Susie Nakamura is not to be overlooked. She has a drier delivery because her character is more buttoned up, um, and her timing is pitch perfect too. I mean, mm. they're all they're all great. The way it's blocked, the set, the, uh, the 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 colorful costumes that they all do. Every single person is playing to their strengths, and so like um, I guess I was saying with with the Top Gun sequel, also exceeded my expectations. Uh, I think it has a limited run um, until later this summer. Everyone we went was, uh, well, first of all, drunk off their ass, I think. Um, this is a real good time show. But yeah, they were all having a great time and laughing their ass off throughout. Uh, so that's actually, if you want to see something on stage and you want a good time, uh, a big recommendation for POTUS, which is playing at the Schubert Theater. And only for a, uh, it's only it's a limited time too. Or do you think it's going to extend? Or I I heard ticket sales were not. My guess is it is probably not going to extend. They okay. could, I imagine, it, you know, they could recast. Um, and it's the kind of thing you could stunt cast, or at least a couple of the characters. Yeah, with. I guess I'd want to see this cast though. But right? um, like this cast is magic. Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of think it's probably going to go away it did not sound like a broadway level show when they announced it and they tucked it in right at the end of the season when you know like all of these dramatic revivals like mm-hmm. uh how i learned to drive were opening and all of these other big shows could trounce it um yeah. and it may or may not be doing great business but um it certainly has you know proven its presence on broadway i and you know couldn't speak more highly of it and if you like hearing, you know, F-bombs and C-bombs galore on stage, well, this is the one for you. Wow. Well, all right. Does sound like the one for me. <laughs> so there you go. So that that is POTUS. Cool. I think, oh, I don't think I mentioned, but Susan Stroman uh, directed it, which also is probably, uh, I don't want to say a secret to its success, but, but it doesn't hurt with her, you know, at the engine. Um... Well, I saw one more thing. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So it was the new Harry. What's the, the the? It's not the Harry Potter movie anymore, but um, oh, is it um the Fantastic the Beasts? Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Oh yeah. So how was that? I had seen the last one, but not it this was one. terrible. <laughs> well, the last one was terrible too. It was terrible. The last one was not as terrible as this one. And the oh, only this one thing, is really worse. This one is really worse. Like I kind of like the last one where I was like, all right, I'm here with it. I'm not a hundred percent. It's not, it's no Harry Potter, but okay. This is just bad. And it made me want to go, JK Rowling, pack up your shit and go home. Like, why do you have to keep going? Stop, you know, like you had like the hottest property with Harry Potter, and now you are diluting the brand. Go make the Harry Potter Wizarding Worlds at Universal Studios. Those are fun. Go make, you know, Bernie Bots, Birdie Bots Beans or whatever. Like, make the little, like, spin-off. Like, do that. No more of these stories, please, because these are terrible. Yeah. Get out of the world. Get out of the world. It was so bad. It was wow. so bad. Yeah. Like I was kind of actively. Did angry. you buy it? No, it was on um HBO it was, Max. It was spinning on yeah, it was streaming on okay. HBO Max, which, you know, and I feel bad for the actors because honestly, the actors are doing the best. I mean, that they it's can. not their fault. 
And Jude Law, I think, is tremendous in this. I think he's doing a great job as as young Dumbledore. Um, you know, and Eddie Redmayne is wonderful. And you know, like they're all doing good work and they're trying so hard, but it's just it's just kind of useless story. It's a useless story. And like I don't care. I kind of want Grindelwald to succeed and murder yeah, yeah. all of these people because they're just so insufferable. You know, and I think that was the thing that I loved the most about Harry Potter is that like none of the characters were insufferable. Um, you wanted no, to be, no, they you wanted were really... to hang out with all of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't know. She's making these characters unsufferable. I think Dan Fogler's character, J- Jacob Kowalski, like I just want to kick him in the teeth. And like, I think Dumbledore is insufferable no matter how wonderful Jude Law is doing and trying his best. And Eddie Redmayne's character is insufferable. Like, I, I don't want to hang out with any of the characters. I think that they're stupid. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so it just, it just, I just was like, Oh my God, how could you do this? She wrote the, like, she, you can't even fob this off and be like, yeah, well, Jack Thorne, I mean, what do you expect? Right? <laughs> no, you can't. She wrote the damn thing. You, like, it's her story, screenplay by. Like, this is her, th- th- this has got her. Well, and that had been a question of mine when you started talking about how actively was she involved? Actively. Is- she yeah. was very actively involved in this thing. And it's like, you know, and I just, she just needs to like go home back in her gated community and like not do this anymore. Find something else to do because this is, and I don't understand why she's milking this golden goose for it. Like, what is she no, doing? No, I would, don't you just want to be done? Don't she didn't has you just want to walk away? Yeah. She I mean, you say billions. gated community. I mean, we're talking about a compound at least. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, you do, so it's like a fucking, like, a, what is she doing? Anyway, um, so I guess the storyline is kind of picking up. Like, this is the other thing that I don't quite understand. It's like, okay, so I guess it's the fight between Dumbledore and Grindelwald, but, like, you don't really see it because the stars are actually Eddie Redmayne as Newt, you know, and his Mm -hmm. little animals, and, like, with Dan Fogler as his sidekick as Jacob. But now it's like we have a third sidekick, um in the form of Newt's brother, who is played by, um, oh gosh, now I can't find who he is, uh, Colm Turner, who was a Burberry model when he was a teenager. So he's very good looking. And so I kind of feel like they chucked him in there as like, you know, the sexy sidekick because Dan Fogler is not. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. Um, But it just, so, so we're sort of back on this like, you know, Newt needs to save the world, but Newt is really kind of a zoologist. So it's, so you're kind of like, well, why is Newt saving the world? Um, right. Because he's no, he's really no match for somebody like Grindelwald, who mm-hmm. is kind of like, you know, the Dark Lord Light, Voldemort Light, yeah, yeah. you know? So, so he's not really a good person to battle and the stakes just aren't there like they were with harry like there are no stakes yeah um you know so part of me is kind of curious with like okay so how does grindelwald get jailed because that's what happened that's like he's in prison right or something during it like when harry potter is so obviously he gets some oh is that what it is i think he is imprisoned like i think that was the whole point so i guess eventually we're gonna get there but i don't know the the world is just not magical like it was with harry potter 
No. Well, I won't be watching it then. There's no reason to. So, yeah. There we are. On that note, I know, and you had lovely things to say about POTUS, <laughs> but I just, you know, I was like, I think it's time I brought this down. So, <laughs> we uh, liked a look, little bit too much this week. You're only speaking the truth. I what, am. What more can be done? I am. All right. I got to go to bed. All right. Thank you, guys. Again, we will be back on the boulevard in two weeks. So stay well until then. And if there's anything in the interim you want us to catch up on, let us know and we'll be ready for it. But you guys take care. Till then, bye. Bye.